Hello and welcome to another installment of Lectures Revisited. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to another installment of Lectures Revisited. This is all about covering other lectures that have been done before and trying to almost copy how they are delivering the the speech and and this speech is a segment from one given by Alan Watts. It's uh, my favorite speech by him, and this is the opening segment of it. The entire thing's like two hours, but I'm not doing a whole two hours. This is just the opening. The general title of this talk, the general title of these talks that I'm giving here is Mind Over Mind. And I'm going into all the various problems which have to do with the control of the mind. And so I might introduce what I'm going to say by saying it from different points of view. For example, if you were interested in communications, it will be the problem of feedback. Or if I may put it in theological terms, how does man follow the will of God if the will of man is perverse? The theologians say, you cannot do this without having divine grace. Or the power to follow the will of God. How then do you get grace? Why is grace given to some and not to others? If I cannot follow the will of God by my own effort because my will is selfish, how will my will, which is selfish, be transformed into an unselfish will? If I cannot do it, because I am already the selfish will, then grace must do it. And if grace has not already done it, why not? Because I didn't accept it? But by definition, I had no power to accept it because my will was selfish. Must I then become a Calvinist and say that only those people who are predestined to receive grace will be able to live the good life. Then, we come back to the inadmissible position that people who live evil lives do not get grace because they are not predestined to it out of the infinite wisdom of the Godhead. Then God himself must be held accountable for their evil deeds. And so... That is a nice little tangle.
if I put this in the language of Oriental philosophy and religion, it would be something like this. The Buddha said that wisdom must come only from the abandonment of selfish cravings or desire. One who abandons that, des that desire attains nirvana, which is supreme peace, liberation. Nirvana means in Sanskrit, blow out. That is, exhale the breath. The opposite, desire, is to breathe in. Now if you breathe in and hold it, you lose your breath. But if you breathe out, it comes back to you. So, so the principle here is, if you want life, don't cling to it. Let it go. But the problem is, if I desire not to desire, is that not already desire? How can I desire not to desire? How can I surrender myself when myself is precisely an urge to hold on, to cling, to cling to life, to continue to survive? I can see rationally that by that by clinging to myself, I may strangle myself. I may be like a person who has a bad habit, as, as a result of which he is committing suicide, and he knows that, but can't give it up, because the means of death are so sweet. So, it all comes down to this basic question, that human beings have for a long, long time been concerned about transforming their minds. Is there any way in which one's mind can be transformed? Or is it simply a process which is nothing more than a vicious circle? I could ask, why have you come here this afternoon? What were you looking for? Would it be too presumptuous of me to say that you were looking for hope? That you hoped you would hear somebody who had something to say that would be of help and relevance to you as members of a world which is running into the most intense difficulties? A world beset a complex of problems, and you want to which would be, would be bad enough, but when you add together all the different political, social, and ecological problems with, with which you are facing, it is appalling. And one naturally says, the reason why we're in such a mess is not simply that we have the wrong systems of doing things, whether they be technological, political, or religious, but we have the wrong people. The systems may be all right, but they're in the wrong hands because we are all, in various ways, self-seeking, lacking in wisdom, lacking in courage, afraid of death, afraid of pain. 
unwilling really to cooperate with others, unwilling to be open to others, and we all think that's too bad. It's me that's wrong. And if only I could be the right person, is this man going to tell me something that will help me to change myself so that I will be a more creative and cooperative member of the human race? I would like to improve. So, in so many people's minds and from so many different angles, there is this urgent feeling that I must improve me. <laughs> and this is critically important because it's obvious that, at least it's superficially obvious, that the way things are, we are going to hell fast. <laughs> Now, in this question, can I improve me? There is the obvious difficulty that if I am in need of improvement, the person who's going to do the improving is the one who needs to be improved. There immediately, we have a vicious circle. All right. Do you want grace? Well, ask God. Maybe he'll give it to you. And the theologian will say, yes, God gives his grace freely. He gives it to all because he loves all. It's here like the air. All you have to do is to receive it. Or a more orthodoxy Catholic Christian would say, all you have to do is to be baptized, to take the holy sacrament of the altar and the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, and there is the grace right there. And it's given by the simple physical means, so that it's very easily and readily available. Well, a lot of people got baptized, and it doesn't always take. People fall from grace. Why do they? You see, we're just talking about the same old problem, but we put it a step up. But it's the same old problem. How can I improve myself? Was the first problem. The second problem is how can I accept grace? They're both the same problem. Because you've got to make a move. So put yourself out of your own control. And into the control of a better. If you don't believe in the Christian kind of, of a God, you can believe in the Hindu Kind of a God who is your inner self. You see, there's a Torah self, which is the ego. That's the, that's the little scoundrelous fellow who's always out for me. But behind the ego, there is the Atman, the inner self, the inward light, as Quakers would call it, the real self, the spirit, which is substantially identical with God. So. You've got to meditate in such a way that you identify with your higher self. Well, how do you do that? You start by watching all your thoughts very carefully. Watching your feelings, watching your emotions. So that you begin to build up a sense of separation between the watcher and what is watched. So that you are, as it were... No longer carried away by your own stream of consciousness, 
and, and remain the witness impassively, impartially, suspending judgment and watching it all go on. That seems to be something like progress. At least you're taking an objective view of what's going on. You, you, you are beginning to be in a position to control it, but just wait a minute. Who is this self behind the self, the watching self? Can you watch that one? It's interesting if you do. Because you find out, of course, that this is just as the problem of grace is nothing more than a transposition of the first problem. How am I to be unselfish by my own power? It becomes how am I to get grace by my own power? So in the same way, we find that the watching self or the observing self behind all our thoughts and feelings is itself a thought. That is to say, when the police enter a house in which there are thieves, thieves go up from the ground floor to the first floor. When the police arrive on the first floor, the thieves have caught up to a second and so to the third and finally out to the roof. And so, when the ego is about to be unmasked, it immediately ident identifies as a higher self. Goes up a level. Because the, the religious game is simply a refined and highbrow version of the ordinary game. How can I outwit me? How can I one-up me? So, if I find, for example, that in the quest for pleasure, the ordinary pleasures of the world, food, sex, power, possessions, all this becomes a drag, and I think, no, it isn't there. So I go in for the arts and literature and poetry and music, and I absorb myself in those pleasures. And after a while, they aren't the answer. So I go to psychoanalysis, and uh, I find out that's not the answer. I go to religion. I'm still seeking what I was seeking, whatever I wanted candy bars. I want to get that goody. I want to see now it's not going to be a material goody. All material goodies fall apart, but maybe there's a spiritual goody. But in that quest, the quest is not different from the quest for the candy bar. Same old story. Only you've refined the candy bar and made it abstract and holy and blessed and so on. So it is for the higher self. Higher self's your old ego. And you sure hope it is eternal. Indestructible and all wise. And then the great problem is how to get that higher self working. How does it make any difference to what you do and what you think? I know all kinds of people who have this higher self going. Practicing their yoga. But they're just like ordinary people. Sometimes a little worse. <laughs> and uh, they can fool themselves 
say, for example, well, my point of view in religion is very liberal. I believe that all religions have uh, divine revelations in them. But I don't understand why you people fight about it. You fight and say, we, Jehovah's Witnesses, have the real religion. Others say, well, we Roman Catholics have it. And then Muslims say, no, it is in the Quran, and this is the right way. And somebody else gets up and he better be a rather high-pro Catholic and says, God has given the spirit through all the tr traditions, but ours is the most refined and mature. And then somebody comes along and says, well, they're all equally revelations of the divine. And in seeing this, I am much more tolerant than you are. <laughs> you see how that game is going to work? Hey, so. Man, I always find that lecture just to be absolutely coming at you from just so many different angles. He talks about communication. He talks about basically every major religion out there and how it corresponds with the ego and just that constant s sense of needing to self-improve and what I continually get driven back to, especially from th those words, are just be in the present moment. It's like yes, you can try and and improve as like you know a, a general goal over time, but in the moment, in the moment of actual practice and then the moment of trial and error, you have to be here and not worried about trying to improve so it's way in, more instead of trying to step up our level of observation on on ourselves it almost seems to step down into the here and now of being able to process things just a little bit differently or in some cases a lot differently so that's kind of my take on it, but I could ramble on for a while, I think.